This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. Oh, and I'm Mob. Good morning, Rob. Or good evening, good afternoon, or good midnight. It's good morning here. It's a beautiful day here in Blackburn, South Australia. Yes, uh, we're very much enjoying our global warming today in uh, in Blackburn South because uh, it is um, just about uh, well, it's a week before Easter wherever you are in the world, so that that's no coincidence. But um, Easter in Melbourne uh, is generally when it starts getting uh, rather cold. But uh, we have a forecast of 27 degrees centigrade today. Very so, nice. So. Oh, and uh, daylight savings ends at the end of this week too. That always kicks things over too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Everything seems to get colder when day- daylight saving ends. I, I don't really know why, but uh, but that seems... Uh, but enough uh, talking about the weather. Where are we, Rob? <laughs> well, um, we are j- just well, about... We're in Blackburn South, but yeah. where is... The CSS Shenandoah, on well, this date, 150 years ago. Well, the CSS Shenandoah is just about to arrive in the island nation of Ponape. Yes. Uh, which uh, was not called Ponape in those days. It was called the Caroline Islands. And um, uh, Well, by the Spanish, um, I think the natives probably called it something else. <laughs> they probably called they it. They probably called it Ponape. Ponape. I'll beat you to it. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, now, when I heard Caroline Islands, I assumed that maybe it had been named after somebody like Lady Caroline Lamb, Byron, <laughs> Byron's sister, because um, it sounds a very English sort of name, but apparently not. You've, uh, you've done a bit of research there, Michael. It's named after uh, the King of uh, Spain, Charles II. He was the, the last of the line of the Habsburgs. The last of the Habsburgs and uh, of Spain. I, th- I thought the Habsburgs went on a bit a bit longer than that. Well, uh, this, these are the Spanish Habsburgs. Oh, okay, okay. Hence, when he died, that led to something called the War of Spanish Succession because there were no Spanish Habsburgs left. Oh uh, well, well. Um, now, but now you were telling me before we went on air that the, basically the reason that the, there were no Spanish Habsburgs left is that they had inbred themselves to the point of uh, extinction, basically. Pretty much, uh, Charles. Second was the the last king of Spain uh, from the Habsburgs, and yes, he was a, a very tragic figure. Actually, he was uh, as that uh, excellent resource site Wikipedia will tell you. He was noted for his extensive physical, intellectual, and emotional disabilities, and along with his consequent ineffectual rule. Well, but again, because uh, because apparently, um, you know, he he was a very strange person, as as a lot of royals and and presumably inbred people are. But at one point uh, you told me he insisted that all of his ancestors be exhumed uh, and and so that he could view their corpses. Now, now, that is very strange, but there's been a lot of rulers in history who've killed all of their relatives and had them buried. So, so while exhuming people who are already dead is certainly rather strange and weird, it is, it is not actually brutal or... Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. The... Um... His problem was that uh, 
all of his potential heirs had predeceased him. Yep. And this pretty much comes about if you continually keep marrying in the family, of course, it, it, it leads to these sort of problems. And the Habsburgs did create this massive uh, Europe-spanning empire um, by doing that, but it also led to their, their demise. And there was some... Very, very nasty stuff. The, the autopsy report for, 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 for King Charles II of Spain. Oh, yes. That was that, that has the uh, very interesting quote that the... Um, he, died, he died, by the way, on the 1st of November 1700, which was yes. uh, a few days before his 39th birthday. Um, <clears throat> the famous historian Will Durant had described Charles II as short, lame, epileptic, senile, and completely bald before thirty-five. But Telly Savalas was, so that's we don't oh. exclude. Yeah, I don't that. think I don't think Telly Savalas was senile. But he think. was, uh, yeah, but he was completely bald. Uh, he was always on the verge of death, but, but repeatedly baffled Christendom by continuing to live. Which well, is, till, till, he was, till he was 35. 39. 39. Oh. And the uh, physician's autopsy stated that his body did not contain a single drop of blood, his heart was the size of a peppercorn, his lungs corroded, his intestines rotten and gangrenous, he had a single testicle black as coal, and his head was full of water. I... I... I wouldn't want to criticise a state of 17th century Spanish medicine, but is, is that in fact even possible? Well, it's it's very descriptive, whatever the case. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and doesn't make you doesn't make you think that you want to be him. Doesn't make you think that being a royal. Yeah, uh, Mel Brooks had the famous line: "It's good to be king," but I don't think it would have been good to be that king. No. So, um, yeah, yeah. So the the Spanish had uh, had discovered the islands. Uh, and uh, did they discover it during Charles II's lifetime, or was it named after him sometime after? Uh, you know? Portuguese navigators had uh, <clears throat> had discovered the archipelago first in the 16th century, the early 16th century. Although they did, they did get it, did get around, didn't they? And it wasn't named uh, the uh, Caroline Islands until uh, 1686. Okay, so, when so there was so, another expedition by the Spanish. Thing. Okay, so, so so during his reign, so so the Portuguese found it, left it alone, presumably. This was um, this was one of these uh, voyages of exp- uh, discovery, trying to find uh, yet new sources of riches, because of course Spain's downfall. Um, the the economy was pretty much ruined by the time that uh, Charles II was king, and a lot of that was. Amazingly, due to the stupendous wealth of the New World. Yes, well, well that, that was the thing about the Spanish, is that they, they dug up immense, or dug up or stole from the Indians, immense quantities of gold and silver. But they mostly never, silver, yeah. Mostly silver. But they never actually managed to work out that gold and silver actually aren't of any use whatsoever in and of themselves. You know. Yeah, they just lead to absolutely rampant inflation, yeah, which is, yeah, which is yeah, what happened yeah, to the yeah, Spanish. Yeah. So they did uh, go out and discover these islands and, of course, sent um, missionaries. And you, yeah, you can imagine that that went as well as, as planned <laughs> early on. And uh, <clears throat> towards the end of the... Uh, Towards the end of the 19th century, since this is after the American Civil War, uh, the islands were ceded uh, after, actually after the American-Spanish War in okay. the late uh, 19th century, Germany got the islands. Well, so, so it was part of the, the, the great um, German empire that I think included the Caroline Islands and 
that was about it. Uh, the top part of uh, Papua New the Guinea. Pa- the top part. What an amazing The island empire. of Nauru. Oh! And yeah. Togo. To- look, in, look. In, in West Africa. I think if you can compare all those land masses to India, which the, uh, which the English had, together with South Africa and Australia and Canada and various other bits, um, you can understand why Germany felt a bit miffed leading up to the, yeah. to the First World War. So, um, interestingly, the Spanish didn't settle the islands until 1886, and then in 1899, um, as a consequence of this Spanish-American war, they sold the islands to Germany. I don't think they talked to any of the uh, the natives about whether they were interested in having the Spanish leave and these guys in pickle hoibers coming to, uh, to rule them, but that's what happened. I think consultation with the natives would have been then, um, non-existent. Then later on, the Japanese occupied the islands. Now, in World War II... Um, <clears throat> having the Japanese occupy your islands was not a good thing. Yes, yes. Uh, the, that, of course, happened uh, all over the Pacific. But this occupation by the Japanese happened in 1914. Well, what, As part of World War I, when they were allies of... Uh, well, allies of the Allies. England, Australia, America, etc. Then they uh, kept the islands, and in uh, World War Two, they had a very, very large uh, naval base at a place called Truk, Truk Lagoon, which okay. is a amazingly evocative uh, Pacific atoll because it's an atoll which has some volcanic islands in the middle of it. It's it's astonishingly. Picturesque. Oh, so, so it's like a combination of your your two types of, uh, yeah, of Pacific yeah, islands. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the part in the middle hadn't uh, eroded away or had grown again or something. And uh, there were battles there, and <clears throat> then eventually they became part of the trust territories of the United States and became independent in 1986 as the Federated States of Micronesia. So there you go, there's a potted history of where the Shenandoah is about to uh, get to. But but they, we, we won't go into any details uh, this week of the Shenandoah's visit, because um, they haven't got there yet. They haven't got there yet. They, <laughs> they actually arrive on the 1st of April, and today Ooh, that, is... That, um, can, can we do a bit of a spoiler for, for next week um, from, from Mr Whittle's diary? And, 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 then, and then we'll leave it alone. The, the, the chapter heading for, 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 for next week. What an April fool to the poor Yanks. Oh dear, I think, yes, I think some... This is from uh, from Mr Whittle, the Executive Officer's Journal, and again I'm of course holding that up to the, uh, to the microphone. So that was the next chapter. Yes. The chapter that we're currently in though, if you recall, is called... Oh, the monotony. Oh, the terrible, terrible monotony. And that's because they have not seen a sail for over a month. And it's beginning to get them down. Well, okay, Mr Whittle has a very difficult job, but but he seems to be down an awful lot of the time. Well, he's not getting on with his captain. and Well, there's a surprise. I think capturing another ship would probably cheer everybody up. Yes, yeah. I, I think I think cap- capturing ships, I think, would get very addictive very quickly. It would be it would be as bad as crack cocaine. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk to uh, Mister McNulty for that, the ship surgeon. Though, uh, if you recall from the last episode, he oh, got uh, himself. We, we very must be drunk. doing um, an, an error attributions, amendments, and additions here, just, okay. just, to, just to put that in. Yes, he he was um, he was drunk. Yes, yes. Now it's interesting to compare how uh, he was punished compared to to John a Williams, the, the, the African American uh, crew member, who yes, when they arrived in Melbourne, I think very sensibly got himself uh, extremely drunk. 
presumably in the, the same bars in Williamstown that um, assistant surgeon McNulty was also frequenting. And um, John Williams, the African-American um, crewman, was gagged and put in double irons, whereas um, assistant surgeon McNulty gets... Um, Sympathy. Sympathy and put on a stool of repentance. And I'm assuming this is not an actual stool. This is a metaphorical stool where he can sit down and at leisure take a good, good long hard look at himself yes. and see if he likes what he sees. But, um, yes, look, look, yeah, the, um, if, if it's good to be the king, it's also good to be an officer, you know. Um, mm. Well, the officers have a bit of a conundrum coming up and it's mentioned in, uh, the journal this week. And that is that the original crew members signed on for six months. Yes. And that six months is going to come up on the 7th of April. My, my goodness, that must mean that the, our original contract for the podcast is, 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 up, is, is up too. So, so. <laughs> so Whittle writes on the 25th of March that um, <clears throat> one of the crew became insolent and, oh. and did some drinking. And the captain disrated him to seamen. He's one whose term expires on the 7th, and no doubt the short trip of his time influenced him. And he thinks, Whittle thinks, that a lot of these men will leave. Uh, he said he'd like them to stay, but their importance of their doing so is not great. And then he writes, and I think he's having a bit of a laugh as he does yes. so, they will have a nice time getting home. Yes, because, you know... Um if you want to get back from Liverpool, you know, in, in the old Irish expression, you wouldn't really want to start from the Caroline Islands. Yeah, particularly when their mission is to find other ships and burn them. <laughs> <laughs> Which means you're, you're burning the only other way of getting back. And also, presumably, uh, not entirely um, you know, uh, ingratiating yourself with the locals uh, in the process. So we also mentioned... Uh, last week, that they did uh, go very close to an island uh, called Drummond Island yes, okay. in the Gilbert Islands, which yes. is uh, close to, the, to where we are now, or, or, and encountered some natives. Also uh, another scene of significant um, um, action during World War II when it was occupied by the, by the Japanese. Yeah. And uh, if you remember, they, some natives came out, they refused to come on board the ship, which I think was probably clever of them. Uh, one of the uh, crew... The sailor's mate Glover spoke the gibberish, mm-hmm. as uh, as Whittle describes it, and had heard, it was told that there'd been no ships seen, which added to their their gloom and misery. Now, wasn't wasn't there a, a, a another quotation about that? Yep, Whittle apparently drew a picture of their outrigger canoe. But that illustration is not included in, in the, the edition that we have of... Um... Yeah, it'd be very nice to see that. He doesn't call it an outrigger canoe, but he, he describes it as such. He says it's peculiar after their style, and the whole ribs and frame were made of a small bush twisted into the proper shape, and the outside was of bark. And one very peculiar thing is they had an outrigger on the weather side some seven feet long, which from its weight kept boat when under sail from capsizing, because the... Uh, Pacific Islanders were amazing sailors mm, mm. and travelled the same distances that uh, a ship like the Shenandoah was doing, but in these outrigger canoes. Yeah, and in fact, um, like they had to be amazing sailors because these islands are, are, are very far away from anywhere. And um, they were, in fact, I believe, some of the last islands to be actually um, in- inhabited by human beings, mm. uh, apart from you know, Antarctica, etc. Um, and in fact... Um, 
apparently um, uh, in New Zealand, humans arrive very late and um, were in fact almost almost the first mammals arriving. Apart from some bats, New, uh, yes, in New Zealand, the Maori when they came were uh, the first mammals to come to to the uh, to the islands. Which is why uh, we're not counting birds as, as being mammals here, because obviously there were birds there. But it's why the the two meter tall flightless bird, the mower. Um, disappeared enormously quickly from New Zealand because apparently moa were delicious. Imagine the drumstick on on one of those things. <laughs> but there are still uh, there are still plants in New Zealand because of course that was that was only about a thousand years ago that, that the moa became extinct. So there are still um, plants in in New Zealand that have evolved their height so as not to be eaten by the moa who are now completely non-existent on the island. Yes, haven't been seen for over 500 years. Yes, but the plants are still there just in case they come back. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're up in the Caroline Islands now, and just uh, before the end, the month is out, they're going to be pulling in. And in fact, they catch the trade winds and are ripping on at a, at a, at a great clip of about nine knots. Is this under sail? Or this is under steamy? sail. They're, they're very happy. It does rain a lot. They've got their full supply of water. And on the 29th of March, they finally catch up to another ship. The day before, they see a, a cloud, which they thought was a, a ship, but it wasn't. Oh, that, that, that must happen all the time, and it must be very annoying. Very annoying. Uh, they capture, they ca- come up to this ship, and it runs up a Hawaiian flag, and they find out that it is coming out from Honolulu. And they said that there was nothing at one particular anchorage, which is somewhere they were hoping to see some whaling ships, but there were four vessels at what is called Ascension Island. Now, this isn't the uh, Ascension Island in the Indian Ocean. Yes. This I, is, I got very confused once when I tried to look that up. Yes. This is uh, Ascension Island in the Caroline Islands, uh, also known as Ponape. There you go. So this, of course, makes them very, very excited. Mm. So they've now got the trade winds in earnest, <clears throat> and they are rocketing along towards the Caroline Group, uh, hoping to see these four ships. Oh, four four ships in a harbour. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen there. So I think it's fair to say, Mob, that um, in the in the Pacific, the the war is looking up for the Confederacy, but um. I have to say, it's back in the United States. It's not looking too good now. Now we attended um, last Wednesday. Uh, we attended the monthly meeting of the American Civil War Roundtable of uh, Australia Inc., as Barry has uh, Barry Crompton has coached us to call it. And um, there was a very interesting presentation given there about the the end of the mobile campaign and the the taking of Fort Blakeney, and. Um, because I'm not an expert on the, the American Civil War, I always kind of assumed that the mobile campaign was so called because it was very mobile. Um, but no. As opposed to a place with that name. <laughs> but in <clears throat> fact, the mobile campaign was uh, to take the city of Mobile in Alabama, and as such, it was a siege, and therefore not... Not very mobile not... at all. <laughs> oh, zing. Um, but um, so... So in in this point, late March, um, getting on to early April, look, the Civil War was 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 still on in earnest back in America, but it it, it was on in earnest in Alabama, which is about as close to the end of the, of the, the South yeah. as as you it, could really it, get. In, by March, 
the the Confederacy is really down to its last throws of the dice. So Abraham Lincoln is already having uh, instructions about what to do about surrender, and Grant has got uh, wide powers in this in this area so that he can work out what's going to happen. Um, the Confederacy has finally allowed the induction of uh, Negro soldiers. This happened in March 1865. And I think by the time you start arming your slaves, uh, it's beginning to get to the point where what is the point? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Any any philosophical justification that you had for for your war is it's pretty much uh, pretty much up at that point. But it, it, it's a sort of thing, uh, yeah, that uh, the, the people do in desperate circumstances, and and things are pretty desperate. Well, um, yeah, on 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 the subject of the the, the Confederacy uh, finally um, um, inducting. Uh, um, Black soldiers into into their ranks. Uh, the presentation we, we heard last Wednesday was about um, the the commander of a of a coloured as they call them in those days a coloured regiment uh, that for was, the Union for the Union obviously so, sorry excuse me um, uh, that was involved in the mobile campaign and did sterling work in the taking of Fort Blakeney, which was pretty much the the end of the mobile campaign and uh, spoiler alert also pretty much the end of the um, the Civil War and. When they, uh, the regiment uh, had been going down the Mississippi, they passed Fort Pillow, which was the, the site of a massacre of um, surrendered um, black soldiers, um, Union soldiers, uh, by Nathan Bedford Forrest's um, cavalry. So uh, when this regiment passed Fort Pillow, they um, apparently gave a little vow of vengeance. And um, at the taking of Fort Blakeney, apparently the Confederate soldiers were extremely keen to surrender to uh, white regiments, uh, not the coloured yeah, ones. Yeah, you'd think, and, yes. Uh, yes. So, um, so certainly... Um, well, uh, well, um, the recruitment of uh, African American soldiers was very much a last throw of the dice for the Confederacy. Uh, by this stage, um, the Union had a uh, had a number of uh, African American regiments who were doing uh, some sterling work. And Although, of course, um, at that time, um, as it would be, I think, until after at least till, until the Second World War, um, uh, the the African Americans were, were only. Um, uh, private soldiers um, and not uh, and not officers. All of the regiments had uh, had white officers. So yeah, it is really interesting that just as things are starting to hot up for the Shenandoah again, <laughs> literally, literally, figuratively, and uh, they're going to they're going to do their war winning blow. Things are things are really going badly back in back on the ranch. Back on the ranch. Um, there was a very famous meeting of General Grant, President Lincoln. And General Sherman on board the steamer, the River Queen, oh. at City Point, Virginia. What what a, what an amazingly good name for a for a, for, a, for, a, for a steamboat. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and also Admiral Porter was there as well. Uh, so now, now I wonder, is that the basis? Because in the in the recent movie Lincoln, um, starring Daniel Day Lewis. Um, uh, Lincoln goes down, and and there's a scene where he meets Grant, and um, Grant is played by Jared Harris, who is perhaps a little bit better known as he was Professor Moriarty in the recent uh, Sherlock Holmes, the Robert Downey, the, the Robert Down, Downey yes. Jr. version, and I think Jared Harris is the only person in that movie. He only gets a few minutes on screen, but he's the only person in that movie who stands up to Daniel Day Lewis and says, 
I, I'm a damn good actor too. So um, yeah, and, and that's very evocative. That scene um, in in the movie. Yes, that had actually happened uh, a couple of months earlier. In, oh, okay. In February, I think it was, <laughs> and was an unsuccessful attempt to negotiate the end. But that that further just cements the point we're making here, Rob. That just as the Shenandoahs doing their best to win the war. Uh, the leaders of the Confederacy are doing their best to negotiate the end of it. So it didn't work in um, February. Now, by the end of March, Lincoln is meeting with his top generals. Uh, General Sherman just happened to be in the neighbourhood. That's why he was at the, the meeting. Oh, yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the, the, the president and your superior officer are having an important meeting, and, and you just happen to turn up with, 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 with a packet of chips. Yes. There's a famous uh, painting called The Peacemakers okay. of, of the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, like most famous uh, paintings of famous meetings or events, the artist wasn't actually there at the time, <laughs> which which means you can actually stage the picture far more evocatively, I think. And it, it's one of those shots of, you know, the men all looking fine in their uniforms, sitting around as Lincoln is pondering the future with his hand on his chin. Um, I can't remember whether Grant has a cigar in his hand or, or not, but he probably should have to, for, for verisimilitude. Oh, did, was, was Grant a great cigar smoker? Yes, he actually died of uh, of lung cancer or, or of some sort of cancer related to smoking. I remember reading about that. He was he was he was a very poor man after he'd left the presidency and was busy writing his memoirs in order to provide for his his family. Oh dear. Well, look, and again, apparently he was. Um... Uh, not a terribly successful president, and I think not so much the cigars, but the whiskey certainly um, certainly didn't help with that. But he was probably like like I imagine hundreds of thousands of them suffering from um, post traumatic stress syndrome because he would have uh, would have been uh, extraordinarily tough being uh, any sort of soldier in the uh, in the American Civil War. Well, we are coming to the end of another episode. Now I, th- I thought uh, might just do a follow up on. Um, I think the the very good interview that um, we managed to do with with Barry Crompton uh, again of the American Civil War Roundtable of Australia Inc. And um, last week uh, when we finished uh, Barry's interview, uh, we said that we would have a competition for you know, a a number to be determined of copies of Barry's ebook Dixie Down Under. Now that competition is still open. Now to enter that competition, all you have to do is you have to go to the um, the episode that we finished uh, Barry's um, interview on, which is episode 23 of Shenandoah Down Under, and on our Facebook page, and do a nice like of of that episode. And um, if you've been to our Facebook page before and uh, you have not liked our Facebook page as a whole, do feel very, very free to, to like the Shenandoah Down Under Facebook page, because I think um, we're only a few likes away from 100 likes, and um, and that's a nice number of likes to have. And now, I do understand, and I do believe, that there are a few people on this planet who do not, in fact, have Facebook accounts, but if you would, in fact, like to still enter the competition for to get a copy of uh, Barry's ebook, that's very simple. Uh, you just go to our webpage, shenandoahdownunder.com, and leave a comment, again, under episode 23, which is the episode with the second half of um, Barry's interview in it. And um, So the other thing you can do is, we, we really do want you to like it, because it does bring a twinkle to our eyes. Yes, yes, we're, we're, look, anybody who has a Facebook page gets very addicted to likes very quickly. <laughs> yes. But uh, the other thing you can do is... 
if there's something in our episode that is not quite correct or oh. you want to ask any follow-up questions or whatever, we are more than happy to follow them up. We have uh, cheerfully corrected a few things that have happened along the way and sometimes we've discovered things ourselves as we're continuing our, our journey of exploration. Well, I have to say, Michael, I did not know that the Albatross Bar in Tristan de Cunha apparently is, is renowned for the quality of its wet T-shirt competitions. You see, I, I did not know that before a reader let us... A listener, listener, sorry. Before a listener let us know. And that's the sort of thing that we are more than happy to follow up <laughs> And oh yes, and I think we, we should do a shout out to a, another listener. Um, we uh, when we walked into the uh, to the uh, retreat hotel in um, in Abbotsford for the meeting of the American Civil War Roundtable uh, last last Wednesday, um, Chip of the American Civil War Roundtable um, told us that um, he very much liked listening to our podcast, and he liked listening to our podcast while painting his model soldiers. And I think that, given in another episode of our podcast, um, I actually brought in my model of the Cutty Sark to hold it up in front of the microphone. I think um, model soldier painting uh, listeners are exactly our demographic. So, uh, Chip, if you're out there, or anybody out there who's who's painting their model soldiers, um, yeah, we're, we're very glad that you're listening to our podcast very good well we'll we'll see you next week and next week is going to be the arrival in Ponape. oh it's even known in some circles as the battle of Ponape. yes yes well i i have to say i think that's perhaps if if it was a battle it was a somewhat one-sided battle but anyway uh yes there are there are very exciting days to come so but for for this week this has been shenandoah down under or confederate pirates save the whales with robin mob i'm rob and i'm mob tally ho and ahoy